the details on the back of the card. And you may want to take some of those so you can invite some friends as well uh, to come. So welcome this morning. So we come now to the scripture. Let me ask you please to uh, pray with me. Father in heaven, um, how can we not smile when we think about the fact that before us is a book, the very book of God, and that you've breathed it out for us. Um, It's not just any book, but it's the very word of God. And so we take it up to listen to you And so we pray as we read it that nothing will escape us in our minds, our thoughts. And everything in this word then will uh, transform us into the image of your dear son. So please, I pray, help us all from the youngest to the oldest to listen. And this I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, to Ephesians and chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, please. I want to read verses 1 through 4. Ephesians chapter 6, please. This is the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then together we say, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I must say, as with the passage on marriage, I take up this section with great trepidation because I'm both a child and also a father. And so I actually have aged out of some responsibilities and probably on both those counts, but uh, still they remain as part of my identity, part of who I am. And I, I know the joys of that, being a child and being a father, uh, but I also know the responsibility And I also know my own weakness. So as I come to share, it's out of that context. And I know that when we read about children and we read about parents, that it can raise many emotions in us. Some of us wanted children, never had children. Some of us had children, but the experience was less than what was expected, in fact, may have been very difficult, may even be at the moment, very difficult. So we read about children. Some may have lost children and you can't get that out of your heart, really. Some of you, when thinking of parents, might have really good feelings, as some of you with children may have really good feelings and emotions, but others, when you think of parents, particularly fathers, may not have had the best experience and thus may raise within you certain emotions that may be grievous to you, understand that. 
<clears throat> I know that. Some wounds may be deep. Some joys may be great. Um, some of you, in looking at your own parenting, particularly fathers may see your own weakness and sins, and that's all that's before you. It's uh, always amazing how those failures stay. Uh, the victory is not always, but the failures seem always to stay. And so as you think of your own parenting, you may have emotions that are troubling to you as I read about these roles and responsibilities that we have and also what God says about them. So, please know, I understand those, those, and share at least some, perhaps, um, with you. It's good still for us to take up this passage. So, if these things are troubling to you, if I could use a figure of speech that we use often, it's that you should lay your burdens at the cross. You should lay them upon, if you will, Jesus. I say it's a figure of speech because if you're a believer, they've already been laid upon him and he's already dealt with them. But, but in our experience and conscience, it may still trouble us. And so it may be that you need to be, receive, experience, embrace the forgiveness that he gives to children, that he gives to parents. So embrace that. And maybe you, you do, we need to do some forgiving children of parents. Receive it. Trust him. He's the sovereign one. He's the one who's ordered the steps of your life. So trust him with it. And uh, it may be that you need some help. It may need you need to talk to a trusted friend. It may need that you need to talk to somebody about these things. So please do that. As as you listen to these things, if they come up, if they're still unresolved in your heart, and uh, you may need someone else to talk to. That's why we exist. That's why we're a church. That's why we're a body. I trust that you have people with whom you can talk about these things. So please, please do that. So as we take it up, please know it's in that context. It's not my intention to bring stuff up that might be troubling to you. If it bubbles, if it comes, then I trust that you'll be able to, under God, uh, deal, deal with that. But let's take this passage up then. So some general observations, which is how I'll deal with this passage, primarily just just looking at particular items that we have uh, here. The first thing to notice, I suppose, at least that I notice, is that once again, God is ordering our lives. Uh, uh, We know at creation, he established certain relationships in the context of marriage, in the context of family, in the context of work. And we know that in each of those relationships, sin has entered and, 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 and made them uh, more difficult, even perverted them in certain ways, that is to turn them on their ears and they're different than they ought to be. But since Christ has come and God has for himself a people and he's called us to be that people, then he says that we're no longer to live in the old ways, but now we're to realize that we're being created in the likeness of Christ, really in his likeness, in true righteousness and holiness. So that should reflect then how we live in the context of marriage, as we saw in the previous verses. Now, as we live in the context of our our family. So he's ordering these relationships uh, between children and and, and, and parents. Um, We see uh, the responsibility, in a sense, of each. We see children to obey and honor, and we see parents to bring up or to nourish Particularly, uh, 
the responsibility of fathers. It isn't that mothers get out of the responsibility, obviously, that in many cases moms are deeply involved, maybe in terms of time and otherwise more involved, but the word to fathers that this is your responsibility here to make sure this happens in an orderly and in a godly fashion, this bringing up children. But when you think about bringing up children, what does that really mean? Well, it really means that God has given to parents this responsibility to nurture a human being from birth at least to adulthood, and then there's still something to it after that. Different, but something to it after that. But to, to, to be a steward of this soul, if you will, it's to enable this human being to mature physically and intellectually and emotionally, particularly spiritually. We have that concern as Christian parents. And so, so all of that, you see the great responsibility that we have. So that just by way of, of, of second observation. Uh, thirdly, uh, clearly, the apostle is assuming a mom and dad, a father and a mother, in this case, parents. In that sense, we know that there are single parent households for various reasons. We know that at times there are kids that are being raised by uh, adults who aren't their parents. It happens. We get that. Many of us have been involved in parenting in that way. So the word to the child is still the same in terms of obeying, especially in the home and we would trust even honoring after that. If I could just say uh, just the obvious to us as believers that the, the scripture knows nothing of same-sex families. It just simply doesn't. Now, we know we live in a culture that defines marriage and family very differently than we do. And that doesn't mean that, that we, uh, what it does mean is that we still continue to, to be kind and we still continue to care and we still continue to interact and we still continue to live with people who are different than we are in a way that exemplifies Christ. It's just simply that the Bible doesn't know of that kind of family relationship, only moms and dads or single parent households in that, in that way. So that's just another observation. The apostle clearly is making that as, taking that as his, as his assumption. Um, and, and notice too, and this is always the case, that the apostle qualifies the authority of the father. Qualifies the authority of the father in the same way that he qualified the headship of the husband. In each one of these relationships, what we'll find is that there's one that has authority, another who is to submit in various ways, and, and, and in all ways, the one who is to submit is protected by something that is true. For instance, while a wife is to submit to her husband, the protection of the wife is that the husband is to love her and to love her as Christ loves the church, or to love her as he loves us and cares for his own body. You see, that protection. Uh, and, and here with, um, with children, uh, fathers are to bring them up. That little expression means to nourish them. It's the same word that Paul uses in verse 29 about a husband loving his wife and even his own body. He says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. It's that same sense that, that raising children, bringing up children, is this sense of nourishing and nurturing them. There was quite the contrast culturally 
because uh, a Roman father had great authority over his children, um, almost sovereign authority over his children, uh, even to the point of putting them to death if that was his desire. And so this is very different than that, but the great protection on this child, not only speaking to the children, but also um, to the fathers, to the, to the parents. Very different relationship to bring them up. And, and it's also very telling that, that Paul addresses children. The assumption that the apostle is making here is that children are a real part of the church, a real part of the community, so much so that he addresses them. He doesn't say, Father, say this to your children. He says children because he expects children to be an earshot of this. He expects children will be able to, in some way or, or, or form, receive this, this word. And, and this is part of this, what we say, continuity between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We know in the Old Covenant that children were very much a part of the community, so much so that they received, the boys did, this, this sign of, as Paul would later say, the righteousness is of faith, the righteousness that, that Abraham had by faith, that they were to receive this, this sign, you see. And so they were very much a part of the community. And so when we come into the New Testament community, the New Covenant community, we see that children still are addressed. They're still part of this community, assumed to be. That's why we continue to give the sign of the covenant to our children, uh, because they're part of us. This promise is for them. In the same way that circumcision told the children of Abraham that there's a righteousness that comes by faith that's apart from the law. And this promises for you in the same sense that on the day of Pentecost, when Peter is preaching and he says, this promises for you and for your children, you see. And, and so uh, we, we recognize the very presence of our kids, if you will, among us. That's why Presbyterian types, at least in our tradition, somebody asks you, uh, what's the church? Who's, who's part of the church? We say believers and their children, at least their children at home. Now, that's the sense of, of who we are. That's why at Grace, we take such good care, I believe, of our kids, that they're so important to us that we don't warehouse them somewhere. We teach them and we love them. And many adults are involved in the lives of our kids through Sunday school, through children's church, through all the different things that we do. And, and it's important to us because you see, they're really here. You remember that it was um, Jesus who blessed, who blessed the children. This is in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. Now, that's an important thing. Religiously, if you were spiritually, in the context of certainly a Hebrew understanding of, of a rabbi touching, you see? And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me, don't hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it. He says, we can learn so much from these kids. But their innocence, hope this doesn't come as a surprise to you, they're not innocent, right? But they're needy. 
They're needy. They can't go it alone. He says, you've got to come like that. You've got to come needy. You've got to come humble. You've got to come as, as one who says, I can't. I need someone else too. He says, that's how we all come into the kingdom of God. That's how we come into the kingdom of heaven. So you've got to come like that. And then, verse 16, he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. We don't know what blessing he gave to them. It may well have been the blessing that the priests all throughout the history of Israel would give to people. May the Lord bless you. And may he keep you. And may he make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord God lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, when he said that to them, what he was saying is, you're a part of all of this. You're a part of it. You're, you're, you're here to receive the very blessing of God. So when Paul addresses the children, he's addressing... The, in fact, Paul would say that the children of believers are holy. It doesn't mean they're saved. It simply means they're set apart by God in a way different than kids who aren't in believing families. When Paul is talking about marriage and divorce and remarriage, this kind of slips out. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 7, he's talking about a, a believer married to an unbeliever and whether they should stay together or not. And he says, well, if the believer wants to leave, let them leave. But if not, stay, because otherwise, well, I'll read it to you. He says, for the uh, unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they're holy. In other words, as long as they're with you, there's something special about them. And so we realize, and this is kind of you know, one of those goosebump moments, I think should be for any parent to realize that because I'm a believer, my kids are different than all of the kids. Just like the kids in ancient Israel are different than the Canaanite kids. Well, what was the difference? Well, on the one hand, they had a community of people who would pray for them, a community of people through whom God would speak, a community of people who would bless them and bless their lives and, and lead them to faith in Old Testament Yahweh, to lead them faith in God. And now for us as believers, we recognize our kids are among us. They're a part of us. They're really integral in our lives. And so, so, so we bless them. And in the name of the Lord, and, and we teach them, and we pray for them, and we live in such a way, how do I say it when we're baptizing kids or baptizing anybody, but we live in such a way that they're on our minds, that we know that our lives will affect them, and we want our lives to affect them in such a way that they come to faith in Christ. And so, so that's the great blessing. That's this being set apart. That's different than kids who don't grow up in homes where parents are attending to their spiritual needs like this. So that's... How important, you see, all of this really is. And then Psalm 78, we'll come back to this. We have time at the end. But in Psalm 78, we, we, we get this real deep sense of the significance of children in our lives. Verse 1, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth in a parable. I'll utter dark sayings from of old, things that we've heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he's done. 
See, we, we need it to tell our kids about the greatness of God, the wonders that he's done. You know, in ancient Israel, the big story was the Exodus. I mean, everything seemed to flow from that and resolve, revolve from that. Why? Because the, 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 the story was that we were in slavery. We were enslaved to a people who mistreated us and it was miserable for us. And we despaired of even life itself. But then God heard our cries and he came and he delivered us, you see. Oh, the great wonders of God. And we, as people now this side of the cross, say the same thing, really. We were in slavery to sin. It was killing us, miserable. We had no way out. It was so bad we didn't even know our misery. And then Christ came and freed us from all of that. And we need to tell our children that. And we need to let them see that. And the joy of our lives is just how we live, right? And, and so then he goes on. So he established the testimony in Jacob and appointed the law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. Ah. But we want our children, we want our children to set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So Paul addresses children. He has all of this in, in mind. And then what he says about children, he says, he says, first of all, it's you to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And then honor your father and mother. So he uses two words, obey and honor. Now, why is that? Well, we know that honor comes from the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, um, the fifth commandment. But, but he, he, he uses this word obey. Why? Well, we know both as having been children and perhaps having had children that there is a difference between pre-adult children and adult children in the context of relationship with parents. At least there should be. If there isn't, there's a problem. Uh, and so for a pre-adult child and a child in the home, uh, uh, to honor parents means to obey parents. And then after a certain point in time, um, then it's no longer obey, but, but honor. We know that a 10-year-old's relationship with parents is different than a 40-year-old's relationship with parents. So somewhere in between that... <laughs> There's this change from obey to to honor. And the word obey means, it's sort of what we could still call it, an exaggerated form of, 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 of the verb to hear or to listen. This could be literally translated, children, listen to your parents. Now, we know what that means. Every mom knows what that means. Every mom who says, why don't you listen to me? doesn't mean, why didn't you hear the words I said? She means, why didn't you do what I said, right? So to listen implies doing, thus obey. That's the sense of it, to obey the instructions. Now, when you say, is that obedience absolute? Well, as we've said in every situation, no, the only uh, obedience that's owed absolutely is our obedience to God. 
And so there are times, perhaps, when children wouldn't obey because their parents are leading them into sin. The danger, of course, is that every kid thinks making is bad is a sin. Or coming in on time is a sin. And so, so you know, you can't always just go by that. But you get, the, you get the point. It may take help for a kid to realize that they're meshed in something sinful in the context of family life. And of course, we know for kids that being abused physically, sexually isn't something they need to submit to, obey. So we encourage kids to find trusted adults in those situations. By and large, in the context of family life, the rule is obey your parents. Obey your parents. And then we know as we get older that that moves from obey to honor. When does that happen? Well, it's very difficult to know. People ask this all the time. It's it's difficult to know. Clearly, at marriage, it should take place if a if a child gets, when a child gets married, then we know that, that there's a leaving and a cleaving, a leaving and a joining up with another, a new household is formed. In fact, we actually illustrate that during our wedding ceremonies here. Uh, we always start the ceremony on the floor of the sanctuary and asking the questions of the betrothal, ultimately then, who gives this woman to be married to this man? If there's a father and the father says her mother and I do or whatever, then, then we move up here. This, the couple. No, nobody knows this but us. But, but what we're trying to say here is that something's happening here. There's a separation. This is, this. So there's a leaving. And so that there's a difference now in terms of relationship with parents. Oh, it's still a relationship. You never lose that, hopefully. Uh, but it's this sense of moving from obey. I, I need to obey you and listen to everything that you say and do everything that you instruct me to do. But, but now, um, my own household and there's a, different relationship. And for those of us who've gone through that different relationship, either as children growing up or as uh, those with children and having their children grow up, you know the dance, right? This isn't something that a switch is turned and everything just works and everything is right. So it's something that you kind of work with many nuances in the midst of this. But still, you, you, you get the sense of it. In fact can say this as a parent, the goal is to raise, bring up, nourish your children in such a way that there is no need to obey you anymore after a certain point in time. They know and they live that out. And again, that's a transition. Sometimes it works better with some kids than other kids. And uh, uh, if you have a number of kids, you realize that they all probably launched uh, a little bit different. But there is this sense that after a time, as an adult child, your relationship with your parents changes. And then that will change over the course of your life, over the course of their lives. Whether you're a young adult launched on your own uh, to when your parents are older. And so the honoring is different over time. The key is maintaining the relationship. Maintaining the relationship. Not burning bridges, if at all possible, but maintaining it. And again, this isn't a 
marriage or a parenting seminar, so I don't have time to go through all the nuances of that. That's why we have Sunday school classes on these kinds of topics, so we can work through what these texts mean in, on the road or on the, on the, on the, on the ground, if you will. But, but certainly, um, there are Calvin, John Calvin puts it like this. He says that uh, children are to reverence their parents, they're to honor them, they're to obey them when they're under their roof, and they're always to be thankful. Always to be thankful. The way you honor your parents is to be thankful. One of the reasons I'm so glad that my children have children is because now I can look at them when they are with their children and I can say, now you know how much I love you. And it's a great delight when the light bulb comes on. And after your children have children, they're much more ready to say thank you because they know the cost. To obey and to, to really honor parents. But you see, what's so, what's so significant here is God establishes the order for life is that this relationship of parents and children, especially in the home, is, is fundamental to everything in, 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 in how we process life. Now, of course, it can be derailed and have to be redeemed and changed and so forth and so on. But in the context of our lives as Christian parents, what we're trying to do here is to bring them up, raise them up in such a way, ultimately, that they'll know God, but that they'll know his his word, and, and, and be able to live as those who are followers of, of Christ. When we look at this commandment, number five, um, from Exodus in chapter 20, honor your father and your mother, we realize that there's the first four deal with relationship with God, that we're to, 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 to have no other gods other than God, and that we're to worship him properly, we're not to take any graven images, and we're to respect, revere, honor, <clears throat> excuse me, his name and his, his day, if you will, to realize that he's the author of time and orders the, orders the time of our lives and that he's the one who does it, not us, so we can rest in his presence and all that. And then number five, interestingly, is honor your father and your mother. Now, he doesn't tell us exactly why he gives us that order. We can kind of guess what he gives first, the, the first four dealing with our relationship, particularly with him, and then how that plays out in our relationship with each other from five through ten. But, but why honor your father and your mother? Why does that come first? We hear Paul, parenthetically, very important, says to us, this is the first command with a promise, some discussion about that, but his point is, there's a promise to this. We honor our father and mother. And how does he put it? He says, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now we know that obedience to parents isn't the only thing that determines how long we live or whether we're prosperous. And so, so we know this is one of these wonderful general proverbial truths that he gives to us. In ancient Israel, it might have a more dramatic or a more um, uh, uh, direct uh, application but, but, but we get what he's saying here. If you live this way, it will go well with you. If you live this way, it will go better for you. If you obey your parents, kids, that's really living. That's really life. Following the wisdom of God, that's good for you. If you, if you honor your parents, that's good for you in, in the context of your life 
as a child. Don't break those relationships. You can see this because he's not here. But one of the joys of my life has been the last five years. Having my father here. It hasn't been easy all the time. I'm looking down there because I just want to keep making sure he's not there. And he doesn't listen to things. We're good. So don't tell him. And Karen's folks, I mean, but, but there's something to that. There's something to that. That can't be replaced. And so he said, this is really good life, you see, to live like this. He says, trust me. Obey them. Honor them. Honor your parents. Plus, I keep telling my kids, I'm teaching you how to take care of me. So, hey, you know, I have a little vested interest in this. But, um, but so much, you see, comes from this time of, 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 of incubation, if you will, of, of, of growing up. You see, the, the next commandments uh, lay out very clearly about, about really how we, must, how we must live. And so he says, so honor your father and mother, uh, Exodus chapter 12, uh, 20, verse 12. And then you shall not murder. Where do you learn respect for life? You should learn that in the context of family life. You should learn that from father and mother. Father and mother, you should teach that to your children. Respect the lives of others, even the lives of others who disagree with you, even the lives of others who, who may drive you crazy, even the lives of others who may treat you badly. Don't murder don't take their lives, you see. That's where you learn it. Don't commit adultery. Where do you, where do you learn faithfulness and purity in relationships? Where do you learn to live by vows? When do you learn to live by commitments that you've made? You should learn it in, in family with father and mother, you see. Moms and dads, you should live in such a way that your kids see that and your kids understand that, that you're living by vows. They, they know it's not always easy. They know there's trouble. You know, there's difficulties from time to time. No matter how much we try to probably protect our kids from some of those things, they're way better at figuring these things out than we give them credit for a lot of times, right? Talk to their Sunday school teachers uh, in prayer requests. (laughs) Uh, but, uh, uh, But where do they learn that? They learn that. At home, don't steal. Where, where, where do we learn to, to value the property of others? Don't lie. Where do, we, where do we learn the value of telling the truth? Where do we learn that lying destroys trust, that lying destroys relationship? We learn that in the context of family life as, as parents discipline and instruct us, you see. Where do we learn not to covet? Where do we learn to be satisfied with what we have by having parents who are satisfied with what they have and parents who are happy when other people have things, even if they don't? You, you learn that, not to covet from parents. And they teach you, you see. As parents, you want to know what you're supposed to teach your kids, the discipline and instruction of the Lord, where it's at least this, these kinds of things, they should be growing up with this. And so that the significance of these relationships, mom and dad and the kids, in the context of, 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 all, of, of all of this, it's important. So why should children obey? Well, because he says, because it's right. That's the way God has established it. It's right. It's right all the time. In every civilization, kids, little ones need adults. They need people in their lives to protect them and provide for them and nurture them and all of that. If not, they'll die. So they, they, it's, it's just right. This has always been righteous. This is the righteous 
way. And he says, there's this promise that you have as well. And then he also says that you should obey your parents in the Lord. Again, notice the appeal to church kids. He's not presuming necessarily they're saved or not saved. They're just kids, but they're out there. And so when we talk to our kids about obeying parents, it isn't just so that it'll go well with you. It isn't just so that they'll like you better. It isn't just so that your lives will be easier. But there's something bigger than this. We tell our kids, this is the Lord's way. So you're to obey him because the Lord has said so. And one of the crucial things you see that kids are to learn in the context of our, of our households is how to deal with this kind of authority, how to deal with the authority even of the Lord. Because so often we talk this to our kids and I trust you teach it to your kids too. How kids respond to the authority of parents is often how they'll respond to the authority of the Lord. And so I tell kids when your parents say to do something, how do you react? You know, how do you react? Do you just simply not do it? <laughs> do you pretend like you didn't hear them so that maybe they'll forget? Uh, do you do it, but you say, I'm going to make their lives miserable for making me do this? Or do you do it? How do you do it? How do you respond? And if you complain, uh, if you raise their fist to them, then, then that's likely how you respond to God. And so it's a great training ground for kids. Responding to parents, you see. That's why in the Old Testament, there's some really troubling passages. I don't have the time to get them. There's three or four about talking that disobedient children in various ways could be, could be executed. Stoned. Why? Well, trust me, this was not for willy-nilly stuff. You didn't make your bed, so whoop. It wasn't that. This is hyper-rebellious and therefore dangerous to parents, children, adult or older children, no doubt. Because it was a front not only to the parents, but to God. If you treat your parents this way, it's how you react to God. And so be careful with all of that. That's the training ground, the training in righteousness for our kids. So parents, fathers, uh, do not provoke your children to anger or any to exasperation, um, but rather... Bring them up, nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, you need to be confident, parents, that this is the Lord's way. This is the Lord's instruction, not just yours, but the Lord's way, the Lord's instruction, so that you can have confidence in yourself that you're raising them, bringing them up, if you will, in this uh, particular in this particular way. In fact, when Paul speaks of this to the church in Colossae, in Colossians in chapter 3, verse 21, he puts it like this. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The word discouraged means to lose courage, to not have hope, to be so disheartened as to want to despair of life itself. Now, again, I suspect you can think through all the different ways that you can do that by ridiculing your children, by comparing them to others by having too high expectations, by not respecting them as human beings, by trying to make them in your own image rather than knowing them and how they're growing up and living and all of the teasing and sarcasm sometimes can backfire in such a way that you think it's funny, they think it's funny, they might laugh, but when they're 30, they're going, but I wonder if he really loved me. So many cautions. 
And it's so messy and it's so difficult. But still this, this sense to raise them up with, with hope. And so how do we do that? If I could just end with, again, with Psalm 78, this passage. Well, I won't end with that. I have one more after that, but this will be quick. Psalm 78. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. Fathers, mothers, fathers, you've got to know the scripture yourself if you expect your children to be nurtured in it. You, you, you really do, right? You can't be shooting in the dark here. You need, this is how you give them hope. Where, where's your hope? Isn't it in the word of God, in the truth of the word of God? Isn't it there? And if it's there for you, then it has to be there for your kids. And if it's there for your kids, how are they going to know it? Well, you need to teach them and you need to get them to places like church where they're going to get it. And so they can have all of that reinforced in this community. How many times do we say the great value of being in a church community, a church community like ours, is that there's adults saying the same things to our children that we say to them. And there comes a time, of course, when that means more to our kids sometimes than are saying it to them. But they get this consistent message over and over and over again by a whole company of adults, not just parents. And so we share in this, you see. We share in the raising up of our children. And, and, and it's this testimony, this knowing the word of God, so that they set their hope on God. Not on their parents but on God. And you see, when their hope is upon God, they'll never despair. One final word, and this is for all of us, moms and dads, but particularly dads. Proverbs chapter 17, verse six. Children, I'm sorry, grandchildren, or the crown of the aged. What's up with me? Um, here's the part I'm after. And the glory of children is their fathers. The NIV translates that as fathers are the pride of their children. What's that mean? It means if you're going to have an audience with your kids. They need to know and respect you. They need to know and they need to be proud of you. And trust me, in talking with children growing up and talking with adult children, it isn't the fame of the father that makes a child proud. It's not the money of the father that makes them proud. It's not the coolness of the father that makes them proud. As we know, cool marches on, so don't put your money there. What makes them proud is that they look at their dad and they go, he trusts God. So I can trust him. Children, obey your parents, honor your father and mother, fathers, bring up your children and then Discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all of us, kids and no kids, whether we have parents that are alive or not, but all of us 
in this community of believers to know that we're in this together. We're raising, helping bring up each other's kids. We're even helping to care for each other's parents at times. So here we are, particularly for the children, younger children here today who are still in the home. I pray you would give them grace to know the worth, the value of their parents, to obey. Because they know it's your wisdom, your command. For those of us outside of that obedience stage that we would honor our parents to know their worth and to whatever stage we're in, whether it's just beginning that process because we've just left the home or perhaps deeper in, that you would grant us grace to love well our parents. And that you would grant special grace to moms and dads, particularly as Paul has it here to fathers, that children would be taught by them to hope in God, to live in such a way that children could look at fathers and say, I can trust him because he trusts God. So Father, be with us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. As you do, I remind you there are elders available to pray. These pews to my left in the front of the sanctuary, if you have particular needs, please come and allow them to pray with you. And again,